0: site that shows a you know firm that that um when we ran the initial numbers for them uh you know they looked at it and said this, this these can't be right they came back to us and actually we actually were questioning our data uh, because it showed that their client was spending eight times what their peers were spending on health insurance not eight percent more eight times wow. what their peers were spending on health insurance and they're like can this be right I'm like no yeah. you know it's I forget how many manufacturing companies were in the data set, but it was significant enough that I'm like, yeah, I think this, I feel pretty confident in these numbers. So they asked, uh, the, they started to go meet with the client. and said, can you do one thing for me though? Well, I'm just kind of curious. Would you find out how many employees they, they have? And luckily this firm was running the payroll. So they knew how many employees they had and how many people left. So when they ran those numbers, uh, they actually determined the, the industry turnover at that time was 27%. And this firm had less than 2% turnover. And, and...
1: Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast about finance, accounting, technology, and entrepreneurship. We apply our decades' worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally. In this ever evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success. A podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead, harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. All right, everybody. Once again, I'm joined by Will Hill, Will Hill Consults. Will, how are we doing
2: today? Rory, I'm doing fabulous. I'm doing fabulous. How are you?
1: I am doing great. It was scorching hot here in Los Angeles this past weekend. Uh, it was over 100 degrees. And so I, I try to make it outside, but I, I try to stay as much as possible in the air-conditioned house.
2: Well, and if you do go outside, I encourage you to wear a hat or maybe a little bit of sunscreen in the top of the dome. There, Rory. I do.
1: You can see I didn't get burnt too much here. <laughs> <laughs> Until just uh, now. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, all right. Well, you have a great guest with us today, Will. uh, He is the founder of Peerview Data, a leading uh, analytics and advisory platform for accounting firms. He also runs Big League Tours, an official partner of Major League Baseball, which gives the people the opportunity to tour all the great Major League ballparks across the country. So without further ado, let me introduce our, our introduce our guest, Glenn Dunlap. Glenn, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you. appreciate being here.
1: Yeah, appreciate you coming on. Well, let's get started. We always like to get a quick background uh, for our audience here, you know, uh, of who you are and, and what you do at Peerview Data.
0: Yeah, thanks. We uh, So, you know, my background is, is coming out of uh, either being a part-time CFO, controller, that kind of stuff, not from the, from the standpoint of I'm not a CPA, so I didn't wear that hat, but I have done a lot more strategic planning, forecasting, modeling, you know, helping, Clients with uh, early stage companies with debt and equity placements, a lot of corporate finance well, oriented engagements or gigs, and so really my uh, le- what led me to start PeerView was my frustration with other applications. I just felt like there needed to be a better app that that helped uh, entrepreneurs and their advisors to make decisions about about their business. And um, while there were some some tools that I thought were um, sort of helpful in different roles, like if you were a banker, you had you know they largely used the RMA or things like that, but the RMA had revenue, COGS, opex, net income, and you weren't going to make any different operating decisions off of just knowing those four lines. And so, you know, I kept saying somebody's got to do a better job of this, and finally, I sort of maybe rubbed that genie lamp one too many times, and it became me. So I, I set out to to launch uh, to to launch PeerView, and that's where we we are today. So. Um, so fast forward, that was, you know, almost well, 11 years ago. Uh, so fast forward to where we are today. You know, we have a, um, a web-based uh, application that uh, we, we sell almost exclusively to CPA firms. And CPA firms then use that to load their clients' historical data, usually out of their tax software, their audit software, or directly, you know, connecting their client, uh, their data from, you know, QBO or Zero or one of the other apps that they might be using. Uh, and then it shows them how their clients are doing year over year by common sizing that data, um, then it shows them how they're doing compared to their peers within the same industry, region, revenue band, that kind of thing. And then it gives some suggestions about how they could help them improve. So, you know, it might be something like your accounts receivable days are 78, your peers are at 33. So let's talk about how we help you reduce your, your AR days down from, you know, 78 to something closer to the, to the peer range. And we also put it in dollar Figures like you know ways that business owners can easily understand it. So, if you don't know what AR days really stands for, but it, but if you see a number that says 1.5 million dollars in excess AR, then you start to have a you know a better grasp of oh 1.5 million. I think I know what I can do with that 1.5 million. So, it starts to help the CPA explain it, helps the business owner understand it, uh, and then helps them to to act on that. So. You know, we have a forecasting tool and some other stuff that would help them to to interpret that data for their clients. So, uh, let's let's do some what if scenarios. What if we were helping you to move that number closer to your peers? Then, what would you do with that excess ca- excess cash? Would you pay down debt? Would you invest in new equipment? Would you hire you know new staff and you know a new facility? Whatever you know, they can do those what if scenarios with them and help them really get a sense of where they're going. So um we've been doing that for a number of years we're working with firms across the country and uh, you know some of the top 10 top 20 firms but uh, also down to firms that are size of sort of single shingles that yeah. um, you know that have 20 or more clients that they want to work with and they can connect you know to our app pretty easily. So.
1: Yeah. How robust is this data and where are you pulling that data from uh, Glenn?
0: Yeah. Uh so we you know uh, depending on the industry there'll be hundreds or thousands of companies in each of those uh industries. We're pulling it, uh, the, the number one source would be from the CPA firms that, that are connected and loading their client data in there. Um, then we also go to publicly available uh, data. So we, IRS or Census Bureau, or we pull some Bureau of Labor Statistics data, we pull the data from the SEC or the publicly traded companies. Uh, so, you know, we're getting data from a lot of different sources, but uh, at this point, we're more dependent on the CPA firms themselves and the data that they're connecting and uploading than we are from any other source.
1: Yeah. And my question is, you know, are there some common themes that you're seeing across these industries that really stick out to these firms once they put, uh, you know, their information in the system and, and see, you know, what their peers are looking at?
0: You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we've, we've spent a lot of time working in um, the healthcare space. And one of the things you see with that is that, you know, the facilities that, you know, instantly we could see in, in, uh, in the pandemic time, the monthly numbers we could see, you know, March, March, uh, really April was where they started to see things fall off because they're usually a, a month or two behind in terms of collections. So, uh, you know, they saw the numbers drop off, but you also see things like, you know, them they're almost all sitting on two to $300,000 more in cash than what they had in the past, mm-hmm. you know, so that's a difference for them. Um, you know, we're seeing in uh, some industries, you take like construction, we've been um, uh, a lot of, you know, deep industry information there. And one of the things that you see is that, um, you know, revenues for firms are are growing significantly. And, uh, you know, we don't know the unit numbers, but my my uh, assumption is, is that there's a lot of an increase in cost that has just been passed on in the form of higher costs, you know, to higher revenue for them. And not necessarily if you're a home builder, not necessarily a number of units, uh, but just in terms of the, the cost that's been passed along there and, and construction companies trying to hold on to their margins. So it's, it's really, when you start to look, you know, industry by industry, region by region, you know, you can start to, to segment that and start to see differences with, uh, you know, within the data, which is pretty, pretty helpful to a CPA firm, especially as they're talking to their client to be able to say, you know, hey, by the way, here's what we're seeing with our other clients. Here's what we're seeing with other companies in our region, or these are, you know, uh, across the board in terms of the industry and maybe even would help them get ahead of some of those uh, trends or curves that they're seeing. You
2: know, Glenn, what would you say to a, a firm owner who says, Hey, most of my clients are maybe smaller family held businesses. I don't think they'd have an interest in this sort of information.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, we hear, we do hear that a lot or none of my clients are asking me for this, so I'm not going to sign up for this, you know, or something like that. But um, typically the thing that we've found is that, um, you know, that, The smaller firms have just as much of a desire to understand how they're doing and how they're doing compared to their peers as somebody that's larger. They may just not be quite as sophisticated yet. Uh, They may not understand a lot of the terms that you're throwing at them yet, but they certainly wanna know. And I think there's a part of us that all of us who are entrepreneurs Are competitive in nature, uh, and we want to know kind of what's that scorecard? How are we doing? And we also may not know the questions to ask. And so that's where I say, from a firm perspective, that it's one of those things where you could go to them and say, "Hey, I've run your numbers against the industry data, and I've got three or four things I'd really love to talk to you about." And so then it frames the conversation about, you know, "Hey, I see that you're really different here. Let's talk about why that might be." And there may be a really good reason that they've chosen to do what they're doing. And in, or they may have just sort of stumbled into it and they've not made the choice there, but they also kind of don't know that maybe I, I could do that better or I just just the way that we've always done it. So, that's what, so I think, uh, you know, the smaller firms uh, comparing a million dollar firm to a one hundred and fifty million dollar firm doesn't make any sense. But when you can filter by size and give them something that says, you know, hey, let's compare you to other companies within your range, it certainly does you know, start to tee up those uh, conversations to make a lot more sense. Um, the other thing I found is that like even smaller firms, you know, companies, clients that are, you know, small, they're small, family held, closely held, whatever, they, they often have aspirations to be larger. And so I think the other part of it is, is kind of helping them to see, yeah. you know, here's where you are in this range, but let's talk about what it's going to look like for you when you cross that $10 million, you know, threshold. And what do what are we seeing in terms of, you know, opex or administrative things that are different or. You know, what might you have in terms of purchasing power at that point that can help you with margins or any of those kinds of things that would start to, you know, help somebody see that, oh, well, there's a reason why I may want to push to get from 7 million to 10 million. Or there may be a reason, you know, that there are some things that, that we could that we could focus on and, and build in as part of our overall strategy. Uh, but you don't know if you don't have that conversation. And that's why I t- am always encouraging CPA firms to run the numbers and then take the data out to, to meet the client. I mean, for one one reason, who's going to resist your CPA calling you saying, "Hey, I've run your numbers, and I've got three or four things that I think can yeah. really help you improve." Let, you know, let's have a conversation next Tuesday. You know, whatever. I mean, nobody's going to turn that call down. I mean, you're going to take that call. You're going to you're going to you're going to have that conversation and see what they have to to help you improve your business, and it just changes changes the conversation completely, right?
2: Absolutely. In fact, you know, I've been I've said for a few years now, and Rory's has heard me say this in other conversations that we have to, in this CPA profession, we have to listen to our clients differently than we ever have. In a lot of ways, we've got to ask different questions. And I've been asked by a number of clients and accounting firms saying, well, what questions do I ask to get the conversation to shift? And this is just a phenomenal method to say, hey, let me show how by staying in my comfort zone of analytical and numbers and and, and looking at those areas, Now I can just show my client how we just open up the scope a little bit further. And now all of a sudden we're having a different conversation about behavior changes, growth changes, impacts on price changing, all these other sort of things that you may not do as a CPA for your client, but pointing them in the right behavioral step direction uh can certainly it falls right within your wheelhouse and that's going to begin to open it up you're not going to have to keep going to them for those conversation changes you do that one or two times they're going to start coming to you even more proactively saying okay you helped me with this last time glenn now i'm looking to do something totally different what do you know about the materials that make up socks right and also you're like i don't know i'm just an accountant but we're going to find out because this is all related to what we're trying to do together except for the sock part i just made that up to be honest <laughs>
0: I actually used to have a client who made socks. So that was, uh, yeah. So So that's one that I could maybe even speak a little bit to, but that's funny. Um, Yeah, I think it does change that. And and it can change the frequency of the conversation, like you mentioned, you know, that it's instead of it being something where we're going to have, you know, first of the year tax conversation, maybe end of the year, if you're lucky to do some tax planning with them, but then beginning of the year where they're doing their data dump for taxes or uh, prepping for an audit. Um, you know, once you get on the other side of April 15, April 30, a lot of times uh, I hear from firms, they just have a very difficult time getting back in front of their clients because we're all busy, you know? So it's, uh, it takes that, you know, it, it would mean that you could change that cycle where you have the the ability to not only reach out to them, but but, uh, to do it with value. And it's not just a fishing expedition where you're looking for something to do. It's something you've got some ideas about, some things you could, could share with them, um. and you go armed with that information. And I loved what you said about, you know, they can stay in their comfort zone. That's why I always tell firms, you know, play to your strengths. You know the numbers and and you know these numbers better than anybody else. And you can help them interpret that in a way that that's meaningful to them. So that's uh, it's a great place to start.
1: Yeah. Are you using this both with uh, firms uh, on the audit side as well as uh, on the advisory side or are both entities using this?
0: Yeah, I would say, you know, audit uh, advisory uh, in and, um, you know, the CAS practices CAS are practices. the main areas where we see a lot of firms picking it up. But You you take tax, and I think we're, um, where I've pitched, you know, to tax partners, because, you know, they, it's not going to be a direct impact on the tax engagement yeah. itself, but when you've got a tax-only client that you're trying to move into an advisory conversation or move into a CAS engagement, uh, that can be a, a plus, it's you're delivering something other than just a tax return to them, and you take that conversation and say, hey, we... We've, we've run your numbers and we've got some ideas for you. Um, but when you think about the advisory side, that's pretty straightforward. CAS, you know, the CAS practice, you know, w- when they're doing the accounting work, a lot of times firms are looking for um, ways to do dashboarding and forecasting, and all of those things that can tie together. And we've got some, some tools to do that. Um, the audit side, it's been interesting. We've had firms for a long time that have used our Uh, the the peer data, you know, because they're from an audit analytics standpoint, they're expected to compare their clients to, you know, not only past years or their Mm -hmm. expectations, but they could also use, use peer data and having that consistent for all of their clients is, is tough unless they do only construction clients and they maybe can Mm -hmm. go get, you know, CFMA data or something like that. Um, But it's uh, having it to be able to cover, you know, their manufacturing, their, their construction, their, you know, whatever the different industries that they're looking at, it's, um you know, it's, it helps them provide a consistent product there. Uh, not only just for the analytics, but we've also had, we've been working with some of our clients to build out some working paper analytics and expense analytics, uh, uh, you know, tools that you know, are going to give them the ability to switch between those different, they can look at the, you know, year over year, they can look at their peers, they can look at uh, the forecast that they've built in the app and, and start looking at the comparisons for expectations and it really meets those audit analytic requirements and that's uh, that's a, a nice feature for them because instead of having to build each of those in Excel and try to figure out, you know, some of those tools, it's a flip of a switch for them by loading the data. In. So, so that's kind of, it's kind of a new area and that's, um, you know, I've never been, having never been an auditor, it's, uh, I'm a little bit out of out of the water in that space, but uh, thankfully we've got some clients that are just, you know, have been pulling us in that direction. Have been been fantastic to work with there. So.
1: Yeah. And that leads me in and we discussed it before we started recording here about the news uh, about Ernst & Young looking to move forward. Uh, with splitting off uh, audit and, and advisory. I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on these recent developments. I know Will and I have talked to a number of different guests on the podcast, private equities, uh, involvement in the profession. It seems like things are accelerating here uh, as they split off and more uh, moving more towards advisory and then having uh, that attestation uh, side as well.
0: I don't know, Will, if you want to take that, or you want me to take that?
2: Well, um so yeah, Rory, I, I think it's interesting to continue to see what does that do in terms of firm relationship, right? So what Glenn just mentioned about the tax partner and, and peer data and how, hey, we can look to expand the engagement of the client beyond tax. Um, you know, There's been a lot of conversation in recent years around how do we organically grow the client revenue? Because it's less expensive to sell more services to the same client than it is to go land a new one. And so, you know, when when you're not dealing with issues of independence, yep. that's a great conversation to go have, but as soon as you step into the independence area, it, it just it gets a little bit more mucky. And I know that mucky is a really super technical term that holds up in <laughs> court real well. But that that's just it's interesting to see and you know, I, clearly I'm not part of e nor am I sitting in on their secret meetings. Um, I have no dirt on any of the kind of international uh, discussions that are happening with the ENY. But you, you do have to sit back and, you know, kind of look at that and say, it's interesting to watch how that goes. And what does that mean in terms of where they see their future with CAS and tax? Um, and what does, that, what does that do to the next tier of firms down below from a competitive perspective? That's also really interesting. I, that's that's something to watch. That's not a commentary item, right? I have no idea what it does. It's just something that I think is curious to watch going forward. So there's my overly verbose response, Brian. <laughs> right.
1: All right. Glenn, you have any thoughts?
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've, I've talked to um, several firms about this and kind of, you know, it's what, what happens in the big four ultimately, you know, has either trickles down and, right. uh, or does have an impact on uh, the, the next tier. And then that has a, you know, so, so it's, it's all, it's all going to change. And like, Will, I don't know if that necessarily means that uh, we'll see the, the, the next uh, 296 firms, you know, all shedding their, you uh, uh, you know, audit practices. I, I sincerely doubt that. I think, uh, um, but I think, I, but I do think it, it signals to everybody else that how important advisory yeah. uh, is and in where the future uh, is going to be. I mean, certainly we're already feeling there, there's been a discussion in the profession for 20 years about or more about moving from compliance to consulting. Oh, we right. need to be a better advisor and all of these things. And, and trusted advisor, better advisor, all those things have been bantied around for a long time. But I think the, um, you know, the the last few years have really sort of emphasized that. And I think um, w- one challenge I think that firms are going to have, I mean, they're already short staffs, right? So yeah. then, then you take uh, firms that um, have people that are really good at tax, really good at audit, uh, but have not spent a lot of time in that advisory space and Uh, you know they're they're going to need some some help in terms of you know being able to to have those conversations and be proactive I mean the the point that they've been so far has been very reactive they've they've been busier than they've ever needed to be and you know uh, and so I think the the discussion to move to that is uh, it's going to have to be driven from the top and it's going to be there's going to be uh, training there's going to be discomfort there's going to be You know, a lot of things that are going to have to take place in order for for firms to do that. And, and that, that's not a, a criticism of anybody in any role inside this firms. It's just that you're going to tell somebody that, you know, hey, you've been auditing and now <laughs> we yeah. want you to, to pro- hey, pick up the phone, go sit down and tell a business owner what you think that they're doing wrong or what they could be doing better that's a change of, you know, I mean, you get to sort of hide behind the audit tools to do (laughs) to do that conversation. Uh, You know, this is what we found with the numbers. Now it's going out and saying, here's how I think you should change it. That's a, um, that's a different conversation and not one that, that everybody is prepared to have. So, so I think it's a, it'll it's going to be an impact. How deep and wide it'll be, uh, I don't know exactly, but I, I I think the firms that we're talking to are already thinking. You know, we've got to be better advisors now. What? How do? What do we do with that? And um, I I tend to think that starting with your own with the data that you have in house yeah. uh, is a great place to start. And and as I think Will said earlier was just, you know, your numbers, people. So lean on the numbers and, and have the conversation around that, not about your baby's ugly, but let's talk about, you know, the the metrics that we're seeing that, um, that we could help you improve.
2: Yeah. So Glenn, you started, you started getting into an, an area that is kind of a passionate area of mine. And that is you have to understand where your value is as the individual service provider. And for those that are wrestling with this big change in the profession that's happening, going, Oh no, I can't just sit back and do X anymore. If that feels a safety risk to you as an individual, as a professional individual, then that tells me that you've missed a little bit of the boat about where you're truly bringing value to your customer, because the value for your customer all along should have been How am I helping them achieve their goals? I may be playing a different role within a team in the firm of how we're going to do that together. But if I believe that my value is only in doing the technical piece, and that's all, I've limited where I can go. I have to be able to see that my value to my customer is well beyond that. And it has stepped out from there. And the management of firms has to look now and say, How do we take and not just communicate what their value is to clients and communicate that value to clients, but then how do we organizationally and from a workflow and efficiency perspective, bring that value and accentuate it, right? Tools like yours, peer-reviewed data, great opportunity to accentuate that value because I'm not sitting there running numbers and trying to do my own comparisons. Computers can do that. But I've got to be able to have the communication. I have to be able to explain cause and effect from a decision perspective. Yeah. So I think this is just a, a big piece of you have to be able to identify your value correctly to thrive in this marketplace, no matter your firm size. Rant is over. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I totally agree. And I think it's something that firms are are uh, you know, they're 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 starting to. More firms are recognizing that and are, and are putting some, you know, wheels in motion on it, but it's still a challenge. I, I heard one firm that uh, the managing partner kind of brought everybody together and said, "We need to be better advisors." Ready, break, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: any, any sort of <laughs> go team
0: explanation about what you know. Uh, what, 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 how are we going to do that? What's the expectation in terms of, you know, top line growth or, you know, number of clients served or any, anything like that. It was just, you know, let's be better advisors, you know, that, you know, here we go. Um, And and it's, uh, there needs to be, you know, thought around it and, and, you know, some uh, tools put into place, just like, uh, you know, there are tools for, for tax and audit. Uh, There need to be tools for the advisory piece. And, and I think that, uh, you know, as you start to look at that space, I think, you taking the data you already have and helping that, you know, to, to grow that, that would be, that'd be a wise place to start.
1: Yeah, I mean, we touched on a couple of different things here. Uh, staffing, uh, talk about training. You know, my, my question to you, Glenn, is with your platform, is this something that's intuitive? I mean, when they pick this up, is there uh, training that needs to be involved or is this something that they innately are good at uh, analyzing the data and people communicate that that's a business owners uh, to sell this cast service?
0: Yeah. some it's going to, it's going to vary on the person. It's going to vary on the client. It's going to, you know, so, um, but we offer, um, so I guess, you know, the, you can sign up for the, you know, straight from our website and sign up and and start using it with clients and never having talked with us, you know, using yeah. the app and the resources that are out there. Uh, then in other cases, we, you know, uh, you know, last week I was in New York City training, uh, you know, floor of people that, uh, you know, on helping them to incorporate this into their advisory practice, you know, so it's, um, you know, part of it's the, um, you know, it's not so much about, you know, um, you don't know what a debt to equity ratio is or how to explain Mm -hmm. that to a client. It's really about uh, incorporating resources into your processes, you know, as more than it is anything else, because there's a shift, you know, you have it, we all log in and use the same tools every day. And, you know, to add another tool to that requires you to make a change. And so, um, you know, to, to get people to, you know, open the app and, and, and just get in the habit of it, get you know, comfortable with it. You can probably see up on, you know, Habit up here is one of my, you know, uh, the books, you know. But I think it's, um, you know, just the process of getting people to make that shift is more than anything the, the biggest challenge for, you know, adoption and, you know, total engagement.
1: Yeah. And I saw one of your use cases where they talked about uh, a firm that, or a business that thought they were undercompensating their employees, uh, yeah. but when they looked at their peers, they actually were higher compensated than, than their peers. And they did a survey and, and uncovered a number of different things. Can you talk about that use case? I thought it was great. Um, that, that, uh, that was on the site.
0: Yeah. I mean, the firm, the firm was, uh, you know, a, a prof- professional service provider and they were having, you know, turnover that they were unhappy with. And it was pretty high. I don't yeah. remember that they off the top of my head. It's like, you know, significant. I mean, tens of twenties, you know, in terms of percents, which was, uh, you know, forcing them to go out and do recruiting and training and onboarding and all this stuff. And just a loss in productivity. And it was costing them uh, significantly lost revenue opportunities, that kind of thing. Uh, so when they looked at it, they were like, they thought. I mean, sort of the knee-jerk reaction is, is everybody's leaving. Let's bump everybody's pay by 10% <laughs> or 20% or whatever the number is to keep them, you know, what, what do we need to be? And they realized that they were competitive. And so the challenge was, was that they they didn't give their employees a long enough vision of what what it meant to stay. Like, what are my opportunities when I'm, if I stay here for, you know, more than a year or two, um, what, what are my possibilities? You know, can I become an owner or a partner in the firm? Or can I, Will they have you know growth opportunities to take on you know managerial roles and things like that? So once they realized that it was a communication issue, then they started addressing that, and they significantly cut uh, their turnover without having to to do a you know huge raise in their compensation across the board, which probably would have priced them out of being competitive in in several markets. You know, so it was a um, it was a really interesting step for them. And I think a lot of times it's um you know you 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 you'll dig into the numbers and it. You know, you, what you'll find is, you know, sometimes confirms the things that you you thought, and then other, other times it forces you to scratch your head and go, "Why, wait, why are we still losing people if we're paying, you know, if we're very competitive against our peers? Uh, then that then that forced them to dig deeper and dig deeper, and you just have to be prepared to, to ask those questions. And I would say if you're a CPA and you're thinking about having the conversation with a client about this too, the challenge there becomes not don't feel like you have to have all of the answers when you go into this. Yeah. You can ask the question, you know, like if they're asking why we turn up, you know, it's turnover. Turnover is a problem for us, you know. So let's let's do, maybe we need to bump compensation, help us understand that. And if so, you get into it and find out, no, really compensation isn't the problem. So what would the next thing be? You know, so then, you know, start asking the questions and, and just continue to to help them to to turn that Rubik's Cube until you yeah. figure out the solution, right? It's not always just, you know, <laughs> Can't just solve the one side and
2: everything. So yeah, yeah. There's something about um, the spending of money where, when you know you have to do it from a a data-based perspective, you can do it confidently. Um, But when it's with your gut, man, it it isn't just a lack of confidence sometimes that comes with that spending. But there's a lot of resentment, um, possibly negatively viewing others that it involves in in the case of compensation, spending more in comp. If we do the research and we've got to up everyone's pay by 5%, great. We're behind the market. No one wants to be behind market. Great. No big deal. We just bump it up 5% because we feel like we're underpaying people and people are leaving. Now all of a sudden we look at the employee who got the most dollars out of their 5% and we go, oh, I don't know if uh, we start having the second thoughts because we don't have a numbers based uh, perspective from where it came from so i think it's a great example
0: especially if they can if turnover didn't change so you bump everybody's yeah. pay five or ten percent and your turnover is still <laughs> you know high and then you're thinking what not one number should it have been it <laughs> really wasn't even the issue so yeah i mean I, you're totally right think about how you know the spending if you know it's if it's data driven that makes sense but if you if you spent that five or ten percent to comp and turnover continued to stay high uh boy not only did you feel bad about making that gut call but then you're now you're you're committed and and you've got all these people you know so yeah it's it's uh it definitely helps um you know there there are plenty of examples too like there's another I think there's case study on our site that shows a you know firm that that um when we ran the initial numbers for them, uh, you know, they looked at it and said, this, "This, these can't be right. They came back to us and asked we actually were questioning our data uh, because it showed that their client was spending eight times what their peers were spending on health insurance, not 8% more, eight times wow. what their peers were spending on health insurance. And they're like, can this be right? I'm like, "Well, no. you know, it's, I forget how many manufacturing companies were in the data set, but it was significant enough that I'm like, Yeah, I think that I feel pretty confident in these numbers. So they asked, uh, they started to go meet with the client and said, Can you do one thing for me, though? I'm just kind of curious. Would you find out how many employees they they have? And luckily, this firm was running the payroll. So they knew how many employees they had and how many people left. So when they ran those numbers, uh, they actually determined the the industry turnover at that time was 27%. And this firm had less than 2% turnover. And, and so when you looked at the metric that we use is Society of Human Resource Management has a, a calculation that caught calculates the cost of turnover. And when you look at the cost of turnover for their peers to theirs, eight times health insurance was actually cheaper than wow. the turnover rate if they had uh, had 27% of their people turning over. So it was a, it was a strategic decision that they had made to not only pay for their fully for their employees health insurance but all of their family, all of their, 100% of their health insurance was covered and they had a great, a great plan and it kept people from leaving. So they just didn't have, you know, the turnover, the recruiting, the training, the, you know, the lost road. They didn't have any of those costs associated with it. And so it was an interesting thing that initially, sort of the knee, again, the knee jerk was, was that, hey, Man. you need to slash your health insurance costs compared to your peers. But when they looked at turnover, they realized that, oh my goodness, that, that's, uh, that's actually saving you money because you don't have the turnover that the industry has. So.
1: Wow. it's amazing. All right. to shift kind of lastly here, Glenn, I am uh, interested in big league tours. I'm a big major league baseball fan. Can you talk about what you're doing uh, with that company?
0: Yeah, this is uh this is a, uh, I have kind of a bad habit of uh, better mousetrap kind of thing, you know, this yeah. is a, so um, when uh, you know, I, I went through actually a program at my church and, and it, it was a kind of a challenge that before I die, I want to, and there were a series of columns and categories you went through. It wasn't all bucket list stuff, but there was yeah. a bucket list column, but that, you know, there was another column about leaving a legacy and that kind of stuff. So, um, but, but in that bucket list, it was, you know, I want to go to all 30 stadiums. Uh, and I, it's something I talked to my dad about doing when I was a kid and I, and I had a son at the time who was, you know, four or five when we were kicking it around. And so as we uh, started looking at it, I thought, man, I'm not going to have my dad forever. And my son's not going to think I'm cool for much longer. So let's get out there and let's go do this. And, uh, you know, as I started looking at other tour providers, um, you know, they sat in the upper decks of the stadiums and, you know, stayed in Newark when they went to see the Yankees or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, gosh, if I'm going to be a Yankee, (laughs) I'm going to be in New York. I want to stay in the heart of the city. I want to sit in great seats you know and so i thought well maybe maybe there are other people like me that want to do it that way so um we launched big league tours in 2006 and and you know uh, besides uh, 2020 with the pandemic it's been uh, it's been a really fun experience uh, 2020 was pretty brutal but uh yeah. we made it through and uh you know actually are now selling uh, tours for 2023 and it's um you know we're off to a, a fantastic start our best start ever so um so i think there are a lot of people that have sort of been you know had sort of pent up demands for travel yeah. and are just like you know you know monkey pox be damned we're going anyway you yeah. know we're, we're, we're gonna go we're gonna go see what we want to see and we're not gonna buy into the story that we need to stay yeah. home anymore we're going so it's uh things have been good i love it
1: do you have a favorite uh like a top five line of stadiums Yeah,
0: it's a, it's kind of a moving target a little bit, you know, I think, uh, you know, for me uh, as a a fan experience going to Fenway Park is, you know, it's just the oldest, it's, uh, you know, one of the smallest, it's uh, just, you're so close to the field and it has just such a, um, you know, old time classic baseball feel when you go. So there's, there's, uh, you know, always have a soft spot for that. I always surprise people when I tell them that uh, Petco Park is one of my top yeah. five. You know, but I love going to San Diego. I mean, it's hard. It's seventy-two and sunny all the time, so <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to argue against uh, Petco. Uh, you know, it's a it's a great great ball stadium to to see a field, to see a game, and stuff like that. But uh, you know, I'm a Reds fan, so I'm, I'm kind of partial to, to, go right. to Cincinnati. Um, although it's been kind of tough, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the last what tough uh, COVID, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't, decades, oh, a, lot <laughs> years, a lot of years, yeah, a lot of years, you know, We'll just leave it at that. But yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it's you know I think uh, the stadiums are you know and teams, um, yeah, they're competing like anything else, and it's the the yeah. game has changed, and I don't think we we all understand the shift on every industry and what the pandemic did. And I think, you know, what they say, it takes six weeks or three months or something like that to, to really change uh, people's habits and, you know, life, live events got rocked because yeah. that, that was the day. nobody was able to go to live events. And so that really changes things significantly. And I think, um, you know, that live experience, uh, it's there, anybody that's producing those kinds of things has to really, I think that, you know, through how they're offering that, but it's, uh, um, you know, if you love baseball and you love going to stadiums and experiencing new stadiums, um, I feel like traveling and being part of it, you know, in a city and experiencing those, um, you know, it's a, uh, it's, it's a really fun thing to do. And I gotta say, I loved, I started it because I want to be with my dad and my son and, and, you know, my, my daughters have now, you know, done most of the stadiums and uh, have experienced that with me and, uh, so we've enjoyed you know that I got a chance to do all 30 with my dad and my son oh very nice and then um, you know the the sideline benefit is that I didn't realize how much I would enjoy seeing two and three generations uh, out on the road with us and them getting a chance to experience it and you know we have a thing now where we celebrate when any of our guests hit their 30th uh, stadium so we do you know fun fun different th- you know, things that we, yeah. we kind of mark that and, and enjoy that with them and so we've you know we had a lady this year a uh, single lady from texas that had uh she did all 30 with us and oh, uh, wow, you know so to, to to experience that and to be a part of that celebration it's just a, a total blast so this uh it's, it's it's a
1: lot of fun that's cool all right thank you so much glenn this was great if anybody wants to get uh in touch with big league tours or peer View data what's the best way to do so just those
0: sites peerviewdata.com right. BigLeagueTours.com, and uh you know we're out there, we'd love to,
1: to connect and, and help you out any way we can. Great. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Glad to be here. Thank you. and Thank you, Glenn.
1: Yeah, thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office, LLC, or their parent company or affiliates, and they have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.